This is February the 9th, 2020. And I did the math this morning when I was reflecting on what I wanted to say at the beginning of my sermon, and I realized that I am 60 years old, and 45 of those 60 years have been spent as a child of God, a believer, one who is born again. Um, I remember distinctly walking across the high school campus in Los Alamitos, California, when a friend of mine named Susan said, are you a Christian? And I said, of course I'm a Christian. I've gone to church my whole life, ever since I was a baby. She said, I didn't ask you if you go to church. I asked you, are you a Christian? Do you have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ? And I went, huh? I'd never heard those words before. I mean, I'd heard the scriptures before, but I'd never heard it put that way before. And I spent literally about three weeks reflecting, am I a Christian? Do I really, truly own this? And I can look back now and I can actually see over two years before that conversation where God was, the Holy Spirit was just wooing and drawing me and calling me to to own my faith for myself, not just that it was what I was brought up with, not just that this is what I was taught when I went to Sunday school, but that indeed I owned and believed and was willing to die for this truth. And so on October 25th, 1975, at 11.30 p.m., standing in the driveway of a woman named Ginger Francis, I committed my life to Christ. And I can testify, I remember distinctly that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, literally flowed over me as if oil had been poured over me. A warm, soothing oil had just come over me and I was at complete peace. I can't explain what happened. I cannot give you a laundry list of the things that were different from that day forward, but I can testify from that day forward, there was a difference in me. It wasn't something that I did, but it was a result of a choice that I made. Does that make sense? I didn't flip a button or flip a switch or do something differently all I did was I responded to the truth of the gospel by saying, I want this, I, I, I believe this, and I confess with my mouth, and I believe in my heart. And as the word of God says, we looked at this last week when I gave out that long list of scriptures, Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 says, if you believe with your mouth, if you believe that, I can't say, I can't ever say it anymore because I memorized it in the NIV and I now read out of the English Standard Version and it totally messes me up when I try to quote stuff. But Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Be saved. Born again. 
on the screen you say you see the the, the, the scripture from first second Corinthians chapter five verse seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, be saved, born again in Christ. What does that mean? I mean, we use those words all the time. We we, we say them. They're part of the vernacular of what it means to be an evangelical Christian. But what does it mean? If you had to sit down and talk with somebody who, who never, ever, ever went to church before. Now, back when I was 17 and a new Christian, that was hard to do. It was hard to have a conversation with someone who had no background in the Bible or in scriptures or in church. But today, 45 years later, it's very easy to find people who have never, ever heard scripture or who have ever darkened the door of a church, who have ever had any spiritual training whatsoever. So it is possible that you could be in a coffee shop or be in a conversation with a friend and just casually use the word, I'm born again, or I'm saved, or I am in Christ, and have them go, huh? What? And as I reflected, this, this verse especially, therefore if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I reflected on that, and I thought, What does it mean for me to say that I am a new creation? Because reality, I can testify that on October 25th, 1975, at 11.30 at night, standing in that driveway, the peace of God washed over me. And I felt that presence of God. I felt the peace of God. But did, did, did I change? Was I new? What was new? I mean, I was still physically the same person if I had brown hair then before Christ I still had brown hair at that time I was only 180 pounds and 6 foot 2 so I was a bean pole and I at that time still was so what changed what became new and then it says all things have passed away the old things have passed away and so again, I thought, you know, I, I, have, I have talked with people throughout the years in, in, in their trying to help them to come to terms with their own faith and their own dealings with the scriptures. And, and, and we've talked about, you know, if I become a Christian, if I put my faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ, does all of my problems go away? Not necessarily. Well, then if I become a Christian, do, do I no longer have to deal with the mental illness that I've struggled with all of my life? Not necessarily. God can and does bring healing, but there's no promise in the scriptures that coming to faith in Christ will affect that healing. So, so what is this new creation that I become? And, and if you look at the word in the Greek that is translated here in the ESV, new creation, um, it also can be translated new creature. What is new? What becomes new? Yes, ma'am? God's grace. God's grace. Okay. Charlene? My spirit becomes new. 
Okay. I'm not dis- I'm not disputing. I'm just I'm helping trying to help you to process. I've already done some processing of this thought and this is new for you. So God's grace, my spirit becomes new. You have a different heart attitude. Okay? Your will changes towards God's will. Your will changes towards God's will. God's will be done. Okay. I like where this is going. The Holy Spirit literally comes to live inside me. The Holy Spirit literally comes to live inside me. I don't dispute that, but what does that have to do with me becoming a new creation? Okay. So let me let me chew on this with you for a little bit. I'm not I'm not challenging. I'm just I'm asking. What I'm hearing you say is I become possessed and I have to take uh-huh. I no longer exist and the Holy Spirit takes over? Yeah. That's something I thought about too. And it's it's cooperative. Um While we're talking, turn to 2 Corinthians, for those of you who have your Bibles with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at a couple other places of Scripture too, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is the emphasis. Um, When you're doing your personal stuff at home this week, if you want to look all through 5 verses 11 all the way to 21, we won't have time this morning to do that, but... um, But I want to I want to look at verse 18. Okay, but we're going to start, first of all, um, reading through 17 into 18. So therefore, again, quoting the scripture that's up on the screen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation or a new creature. The old has passed away. So something that was part of me is no longer. The new has come. So whatever was part of me that's no longer has been replaced by something new. Then verse 18. All this is from God. So this is not me choosing to change my attitudes, my thoughts, my behaviors. This is something that God does in me, to me, with me, for me. I'm not sure what the the proper verb would be or but the reality is this is something God does and it says all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation which we'll get into in just a second therefore we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And to me, that last statement, verse 21, kind of gives me this understanding of what is the new. Because think about it. When we were not in right relationship with God, what was reigning, what was in charge of us? Sin. Sin, but also us. We willfully chose what was for us. 
And we talked about it in Sunday school with the teens this morning. When temptation comes in, the likelihood is that you're going to give birth to sin unless you choose to not follow that temptation. But most of the time, temptation that comes to you is something that looks really appealing and it's beneficial to me and it's something I want and it draws me because it's all about feeding me, making myself good, getting for me. And I don't remember who said it, but when Christ comes in, I think it was Natalie, when Christ comes in, when we are in Christ, when we are born again, when we get saved, something changes in the way our thought process works. And we are no longer willing our own stuff, but we are willing God's stuff. And I would submit to you that based on what this says here in in verse 18, that is part of the work of God in us. I can tell you that in October 25th, 1975, or actually October 26th, 1975, as I began this new life in Christ, something had changed in the way I I related to the world and to God. Something had changed, and it wasn't of my doing. There was a new outlook I don't know that that's necessarily the word I want to use, but there was a new new way of relating, new way of perceiving, new... Um, my motivation, obviously, was indeed to honor God. My motivation was to be in right relationship with God. And if you look at verse 21, <coughs> excuse me, of chapter 5 here, our, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. And there's this idea that we we become clean, holy, righteous. When we were talking in Sunday school, I said, what does it mean when you get saved? What does it mean to be born again? And um, Cheyenne said, uh, you get a second chance. And I said, so you mean like a do-over? And she said, yeah. And then, then Emily said, well, it's actually like God erases everything that you ever did on your page. And you had a clean page. And I said, I said, I like that thought. But, you know, sometimes when you erase something off of a page, you can still see what was there. And I said, maybe God actually removes the page and supernaturally puts a brand spanking new page in my book. Fresh. As if I had never, ever done anything wrong. And then I said to them, so when you get saved and you're born again and you now have this do-over and you now have the fresh page, why would you ever want to sully it with sin again and have those dark marks on that fresh, clean page? And so the challenge then is, and, and we're not going to talk about that this morning, but the challenge is, is as you heard two weeks ago when, when, when Daryl, uh, Chaplain Daryl Densford was here, he talked about temptation and the idea that, you know, temptation gives birth to sin. And so, and then, and I had up on the screen that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13, it says that there is no temptation that comes to any of us that is not common to all of us. And with the temptation, there will come, uh, there will come a way out. God will never allow you to be tempted beyond that which you can bear to keep you from sinning. So in other words, whenever temptation comes, there is a promise from God that when the temptation comes, you will be able to endure it and not be forced to sin. And number two, God will always give you an out. There's always the opportunity for you to choose the right thing. 
And then the cool thing is, when you are saved, as Elsie said, we have the presence of God right here with us. It's not like we have to run to the church and go, oh God, we can literally turn and say, oh God, right here, right now, help me. And I think this new creation, these old things passing away, this old things becoming new, is how we respond. Our motivation is no longer, like Dennis said, it's no longer to sin, it is no longer to self, it is now to honor God. It is now to bring honor to, to the Lord. It is, it is a change that God does in us, but there's also our part in it. On how we re, how we, I don't know. How do you exercise that new muscle, if you will? I mean, it's as if it's as if you had a diseased heart, and God did a supernatural transplant of a new, healthy heart. But it's now your responsibility to exercise and to eat right, so that that heart stays healthy. Does that make sense? So there's a relationship in the way that we walk with Christ. Now. <clears throat> this new thing is not something that um, well let me let me let me do it this way look at look at Colossians which is a few pages over after after second Corinthians there's Galatians then there's Ephesians then there's Philippians I always mix up Philippians and Colossians then there's Colossians always I've 45 years and I can never get Philippians and Colossians right in their order Colossians is uh, chapter 3, and we're looking at verses 1 through 10 is the total pericope, but, um, but we're only going to be emphasizing verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> but it says in verse three, chapter 3, verse 1 of Colossians, If then you have been raised with Christ, which is this idea of being saved, this being a new creature, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on those things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Um, then he talks about all the different things that you shouldn't do. And then verse 9. Um, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. There is no... Greeks, uh, Jew, no circumcised or circ- uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, all. But Christ is all and is in all. And then it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. So in other words, Ch- Colossians chapter 3 is an incredible uh, instruction from, Pastor, from the Apostle Paul on how to walk in this new creation. In other words, if I am new, God has literally put a new page in the book, if you will. How do I keep it clean? How do I keep from messing it up? Well, number one, I have to continue to stay in relationship with God. But number two, when the temptations come, I need to avoid those temptations through the power of the Holy Spirit who is right there with me, guiding me and giving me the strength. And as Paul lists in chapter 3 of of Colossians, he literally says, the old things that you used to participate in do not have to be part of your life anymore. Which goes right back to this 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. The old things have passed away. 
Behold, all things have become new. The way you respond to the world, the way you respond to temptation, the way you relate with other human beings, all of it is new. The challenge comes in that you still have to walk day by day with the same stinking people in the same stinking situations after you come to faith in Christ. And guess what? Your regular way of relating to those people didn't change. So what that means is, if they bugged you before you were saved, they're going to bug you after you're saved, and it's how you're going to respond to it that determines whether or not a black mark goes on your brand new piece of paper. See, God removed all the old nasty garbage and put in new, but you don't go to heaven in that moment. You still have years on this earth, most likely. In my case, I've lived three quarters of my life with this new page. The first 15 years or 16 years of my life was um, without the page. But the last three quarters of my life has been with the new page and I've done everything in my power to try and keep it from getting sullied and dirty. That doesn't mean that there aren't marks on it that God has had to the, through the blood of Christ, you know, clean off again. But I've done my best, Lord willing, through the power of the Holy Spirit to keep that page as clean as possible to God's glory, not to mine, because my focus was changed. I no longer live for myself. I live for Christ. And literally in the scriptures, the way Paul writes it, I died. Look at Now look at Romans chapter 6. This is another really, really cool chapter when we're talking about what does it mean to live this new creature life. So for those of you who are keeping notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 3, Romans 6. Those are your three sections to look at this week. Chapter 6 in Romans, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? (laughs) By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is the same idea. I have died to myself. I'm now living for God in that transaction of coming to faith in Christ. I am now born again. I am saved. God has made me a new creature and all the old of my old life is gone. All the new and the new things are are implanted there by God and I have to walk in that newness. For if we've been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. That goes back to what Dennis was talking about. When you get saved, when you are born again, when God does this spiritual miraculous transaction, one of the things that happens is you are no longer a slave to sin. You no longer have to sin. Let's skip a little bit. Verse 12. Do not let sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make make you obey its passions. Do not present your members 
to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Now, you can continue reading all of chapter 6. Like I said, it's really cool. There's some really good instruction in there, and you can do that during your personal time. But I wanted to, I wanted to just look at this, and then, then I've got the last point that I want to bring in. Okay, so let's just let's re- rehash this a little bit. I come to faith in Christ. I am saved. I am born again. There's a transaction that takes place. God literally makes me a new creature, a new creation. All the old ways of relating to the world and to temptation are passed away. God has literally changed out that page or put in the new heart. And all things now are new. However, I have not been released from my time on this earth. So now, from that moment forward until God pulls me off this earth, I have to now walk in this newness. And my job is to stay righteous. If you look at the book of James chapter 1 verse 27, which is not part of my notes, it's just here coming out. God says, in that, in that verse it said that pure religion that is undefiled, pure religion is seen by God as this, to care for the widows and orphans and to keep yourself unspotted, unspotted or unpolluted by the world. Okay, so we're supposed to show love to the people around us and compassion to the people around us. But at the same time, as we walk in this new relationship with God through Christ, we are supposed to continually guard against becoming uh, uh, becoming spoiled or stained by the world, by sin. Okay, so it's a dual edged thing. We have to show the love of Christ and minister in the name of Christ. At the same time, keep ourselves as clean, righteous and holy as possible through choosing not to succumb to temptation and not sinning. And, I, and another sermon will talk about the power of the Holy Spirit to release you from the original sin that wants to draw you towards that. That's a totally separate, separate, separate sermon. But the next part of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians is the thing that I wanted to, 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 to close with this morning. Because, as I said, we are still living on this earth for many, many years after coming to faith in Christ... And we are told that we have to live a righteous, holy, and pure life as we do so. And while we're doing all of that, we're supposed to be reaching out to the world around us, showing the love and compassion and mercy of God to the poor, to the, 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 the helpless, to the defenseless. But also, if you go to um, verse 20, actually go to verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. In other words, the world, the people of the world had rebelled against God and they were living for themselves and they were totally focused on on satisfying their own selfish desires. They were living in sin. And through Christ, the blood of Christ sacrificed on the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins and trespasses against them, but entrusting to us and entrusting to us the the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God makes his appeal through us to the world. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. And this is the this is the thing that I wanted to, to say as, as I close this this thought about this passage. 
It's more than just keeping myself clean. It's more than just showing love to the people around me and compassion to the people around me. It's more than just getting my get out of jail free card so that I can go to heaven when I die. It is also that we are the ambassadors of God to the people who are still stuck in their own darkness, who still have the dirty page, who still are stuck in their own selfish, introspective way of living, who don't want to have anything to do with God. And I would submit to you that we in the Western Evangelical Church have played it wrong for the last 40 or 50 years. Because nowhere in these passages do I hear anyone saying, it's my job to go out there and call out the sin. It is my job to show them the love of God, to draw them to God, to live righteously before them so that when they say, what's different about you? I can tell them what's different. I can tell them what I just told you this morning, that when I came to faith in Christ, God changed the way that I related to to him in the world. See, There's the expression that you can draw more with with sugar than you can with salt or with vinegar. The idea being that that if I want to have the opportunity to speak to somebody's life, that my job needs to be that I need to draw them to Christ, not repel them. Now, I'm not saying that when somebody says to you, Evelyn, I was I was wondering, is it is it wrong to blah, blah, blah? You, of course you can have a conversation with them about what the scriptures say about blah, blah, blah. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you see somebody engaged in blah, 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 and it's and you're trying to win them to Christ, the most effective way to win them to Christ is not necessarily to come up to them and go, you sinner! Because what are they going to do? Because what is their perspective? It's all about me. It's all about, and they're slaves to their sin. But if you can show them the love of God, the righteousness that you're experiencing, which is what we're called to do, they will be drawn by God's Holy Spirit. Because I can tell you, when I was walking in darkness, and my friend said to me, are you a Christian? And I said, of course I am. I've lived, I've gone to church my whole life. And she said, but have you made a personal relationship? The Holy Spirit used all of that to begin showing me The darkness that was still there when even though I thought that I was good, even though I thought I was living a righteous life, God began to convict me of all. It wasn't my friend who was calling me out for all of my sins. The Holy Spirit who knew everything that was going on inside of me was dealing with that. So I encourage you and challenge you, if you have opportunity to speak truth to somebody, speak truth to them. If they ask you, is such and such a sin? And you can show them in the scripture where it says this is a sin. Of course, share that. But if you're trying to win someone to Christ, pointing out their sin is not necessarily the best way to go about doing it. And I don't mean that to be funny. I'm very serious. If you're trying to win someone to Christ, if you're trying to be an ambassador for Christ, the ambassador looks for bridges. They look for ways to establish relationship. They look for ways to encourage continual conversation. When there's a hard time, of course, you have to go there. But that shouldn't be your modus. 
That shouldn't be the way that you gain access by going, you sir. Now, there's a long conversation that we could have about this, and we might have that at our next DCRO in March. But for right now, I just wanted to leave you with those thoughts. If you are in Christ, if you are saved, if you are born again, you are a new creature. God has indeed, has indeed cleansed you and made you righteous. And you are now tasked with staying clean, showing the love of God to the world, and being an ambassador for God to the world. And you need to figure out what God is asking of you as you walk that. Because you probably have a few more years left. Let's pray.